Let's pray. Father, we just want to um, pause in the quiet of this moment. Thank you. Thank you for um, giving us this nation, for allowing us as a people to live in this place. And today we want to remember those who have served, who entered into battle and suffering, who gave their lives for our lives and the lives of many who would follow. True sacrifice is often something that we just should stop and in honor. And so we, we this weekend remember. And Father, even more so we give you thanks for your incredible love. Your willingness to send your son not for a land and for one people but for a kingdom where we might live under your rule and we might serve and we might sacrifice. Many have done that as martyrs and have given their lives. And sacrifice is something to stop and pause and remember. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your sacrifice, Jesus, as we were just singing, we love you. We love you that you have set us free from the power of sin and death, from the grasp of shame and guilt, from a selfishness that looks only to our own interests, to a life that looks to the interests of others for the sake of others, that they may be free. So God, may our lives as people, even though we may not pay the ultimate sacrifice of our life, may it be full of times where for the sake of others, for the work that you're doing in us, may there be times of denial, times of sacrifice, times of just letting you work out your will in the situations that we're in even right now. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, thank you for being a part of this day. Um, it's not a great day to be outdoors anyway on the lake, right? Um, we are glad that you are sharing this time together and those of you who are watching as well online. Uh, we're in this series on Acts, which we've called Unprecedented, and each of these messages share some kind of unprecedented act. And what we're going to see today is the unprecedented act of suffering and sacrifice that Jesus gave is modeled in our lives. If we're willing to say, Jesus, use my life in that way. In the 1940s, one of the most uh, prolific artists and illustrators was a man named Norman Rockwell. And uh, his paintings reflected the best of the American spirit during some of our nation's most trying years. He actually began in 1916 as a 22-year-old and for 47 years with the Saturday Evening Post, a, a magazine that was actually started by Ben Franklin years ago. He, for 20, um, for 47 years into 1963, would draw these illustrations of American life, kind of this Americana. And his, his works were displayed for those years on the uh, Saturday Evening Post, and people would use words like heartwarming or nostalgic or encouraging um, to talk about his illustrations. And one of the most memorable, one of his most memorable, iconic Saturday Evening Post illustrations was in 1945, on May 26th. It was simply titled Homecoming GI. And you kind of see the picture of it right there as you see this GI coming home from the war. It's a soldier wearing a green faded uh, fatigues and he's standing in front of a brick tenement, one of those kind of, a, maybe you could even say like a, those brownstones it looks like out east. And As the excited family members are gathered around, and he has friends as they pour into the alley, and they welcome him home from the war. If you look at this scene, Rockwell wanted to make sure that when you would walk, look at it, you would find yourself somewhere in it. And so there in this scene, you'll see the weary returning soldier front and center, the exuberant parents who are standing there waiting on the porch, elated siblings, brothers and sisters, joyous neighbors, and then just tucked off to the side in that kind of green blue dress, whatever it looks like to you, is the shy girlfriend in waiting. And it's just this picture of everybody welcoming him home. And and when you come home um, from a trip like in war where you have been battle-wearied and bruised and suffered and gone through um, extenuating circumstances beyond what you could have ever thought and you arrive home, there's just lots of emotions which he tried to capture in that picture. Well, the same is true as you've been on a, a, a traveling for a long time, and maybe that travel that you were on was for others and for the sake of others, and, and in it you experienced some difficulty. Well, that's exactly what happened in 44 AD, as we look at this passage of scripture of, that, that Luke is reporting in Acts chapter 14, um, it begins actually in chapter 13 in 44 AD, uh, Paul and Barnabas left their city that they were a part of a church and were sent off by them, and they left Syrian Antioch and went on this journey for about a year and a half 
So that around the fall, summer fall of 46 AD, many scholars believe they returned home, and I believe they probably returned home to some kind of welcome, lots of emotions as people were waiting for Paul and Barnabas, being gone a year and a half, wondering what was going on in their life, waiting to hear. And so they returned. And as you look at the map, you'll see in the map what this trip looked like. It started in in that area of Syria, Antioch. It went over to the island of Cyprus. And in Cyprus, there was this great welcoming, and it it was really a success and a celebration. And so Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark set sail. And they go across over to Pamphylia, that little yellow spot there. And many scholars believe the trip over was really difficult. And the ship was, it, it was possibly going through storms, lands in Pamphylia. Pamphylia is a coastal area, a lowlands, and it was known for having all kinds of mosquito and malaria. And as Paul gets there and Luke get there, they're in Perga. And in Perga, probably Paul con, you know, contracted malaria. He started having problems with his eyes. He had massive headaches. We don't hear any report of anything that happened in Perga. Not only is that going on, is he suffering, he's sick, is he's on this trip for others. John Mark, who went with them, who was going to be someone who would help them, deserts. He's either homesick or he didn't like the trip across the water. He was maybe expecting, you know, four seasons to stay in. None of that stuff came true. And he just took off back home. And so he's not only dealing with sickness, but a sense of desertion and isolation and beginning to wonder because as they go through the next cities, there's some success, but they find all kinds of of, of sorrow and trouble and heartache and suffering. And so having traveled through all these cities, which we looked at the last few weeks, they're now coming to the very last city. And in this chapter, chapter 14, verses 21 through about 28, there's a key verse. It's verse 22, last half of that verse. And, 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 and we read these words from the lips of most likely Paul. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. As they're returning back home, they go to each of these churches that they've planted and established, and they're working with each of them. He repeats probably this statement to them because they're going through times of suffering, and Paul himself had gone through those. And so what I want us to do is just ask a few questions this morning. When we think of Memorial Day, we think of suffering, we think of sacrifice, we're actually in a passage of scripture that talks about that, which is kind of the theme that you find here in Acts chapter 14, and that is a series of questions like, what if your number is called and you're given the ticket of suffering for a period of time? Or maybe you drew the ticket already and you have it. The first question I just want to ask in this is, Is God holding before you a ticket of suffering? And if he is, why? Or if you grabbed it, or you've been given it, why? Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, we rejoice, and the word actually means boast, in the hope of the glory of God. So we can understand boasting and hope and something great that's going to happen. But then he says, not only so, we also rejoice or boast in our sufferings. And that sounds kind of crazy. I mean, who's rejoicing in suffering? And why? If you look at Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, those first part of verse 22, it says this, after preaching the good news in Derby, which was the last city in that trip, and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas started and returned back to Lystra, then back to Iconium, and then into Antioch, Pisidia, 
where they strengthened the believers. Doesn't say anything about Perga. He goes back to that city to get a ship back. But if you look at the map again, I want to show you what they didn't do. What they didn't do, and it's going to be hard to see on this map, but if you can see, they're up in that green area. If he was just to keep going, not a whole lot of miles, they would be able to go to Tarsus. And what you need to know about Paul is that's his hometown. That's where he came from. In fact, when he went back um, after he had been converted and came to faith in Christ and, and he was starting to use his gifts and he was causing all kinds of problems in the early church, the disciples, it said, came to him and said, you need a, you need a time out. They wanted him to mature in his gifting and he went back to Tarsus for about 12 years. So here's what he didn't do. He didn't get to Derby, and after being um, sick and having a desertion, feeling betrayed, and, and think about it, he was in one of the cities left for dead. He was stoned. I mean, my natural tendency would be to go, I'm going home. I'd like some chicken noodle soup, right? I'd like to really um, get some ch- a chance to relax, but he doesn't. Notice what he does do. He chooses to suffer. He isn't just given the ticket. He grabs hold of the ticket, gets on the train of suffering, so to speak, and as he goes back, he goes back to each of these cities for a purpose. It says they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, of Pisidia, and they did this. They strengthened the believers. They they grabbed, in a a sense, um, and chose the ticket of love, which would involve pain and denial, and not what would be kind of your natural desire, just to go on to hometown. And, and so they get on this um, ride and, and they're suffering and they retrace their steps with a single purpose. Here is why they grabbed the ticket of suffering. They did it for the sake of others. They were not willing to just continue go to Tarsus and then go home. They knew that in returning they would face hardship and suffering and difficulty, but they did it because they loved these believers and these people that they had worked their life and it brought them to Christ and they wanted to go back and establish and strengthen them. It was all for the sake of someone else. They were willing not only to face opposition, but think about it, to actually, since he was stoned in the one place, to face death. Now, I know that you've experienced probably things such as this, have you, you think about it, have you chosen ever in your life to grab hold of the ticket of suffering and, and think about it and why? Have you ever done that? And my guess is that if you, how many here um, are, are married and have children? You chose the ticket of suffering. <laughs> right? It's pretty simple. Because at one point in your life, you said, let's have kids. And, 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 and so you, you, you as a, you know, the, the wife becomes pregnant and she gives birth and for the joy set before her of having this child. Some of you have suffered in other ways and it may not be for the sake of others, but you may have suffered by, by trying to start a business and, and doing what you need to do to deny yourself different things or, or maybe you have, 
suffered in the sense that um, you've kind of gone, I'm going to go on for an extra degree, which means night school, which means I'm not going to be able to do things with my friends. We all choose things at times that create some pain, some denial, because we believe something is better on the other side. I think one of the hardest things to do is to be given a ticket where you kind of are suffering and you just don't get it, right? What's going on? But I want you to think just with this passage of scripture and what you see outlined in what Paul did here is he decided with Barnabas, let's go back for the sake of others and let's establish something in their life. Just want you to think for a second. Is there any place in your life where God might be saying, do, you know, what I'm calling you to do, or maybe you're processing, maybe there's some things you go for the sake of this individual, and, and let God bring maybe something to mind. As someone you might be thinking about. And for the sake of this one, is God calling you to say, you know what, I maybe need to out of the joy for what I want to see established in them, which you never know will actually happen, because Paul didn't know, I'm going to go ahead and maybe deny myself something. I'm going to be willing to suffer. You know, one of the things that, that I look at, and I, I, for me, suffering is not anything I really like to do, but then I look at the suffering of Paul, and I compare Paul's suffering to the things that I choose sometimes to have to deny myself. Um, Paul was willing to suffer and deny himself. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, at one point he goes, do I need to prove to you that I, I'm, I'm a servant? I'm not in this for my own sake. I'm not going around to all these towns and villages. And he's going back to 2 Corinthians and he goes, do I need to prove to you how much I am willing to suffer it for you and love you? And then he goes into this litany of things that he's done in, in verse 23 where he says, I worked harder, I, I, I was in prison more frequently, I was flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. I had 40 lashes minus one, five times he's been at 39 lashes. Three times beaten with rods, one stoned, which is what we read a few weeks ago, three times shipwrecked, face. Um, all kinds of difficulty in rivers and bandits, etc. He goes on, my own countrymen. And I go, you know, sometimes God asks me to deny myself for the sake of someone else. I was thinking of um, this Wednesday, we have 24-7 prayer. And... Um, and we ask people to be a part of what we're doing with other churches in Twin City to pray for our city, for pray for God to work in that. And, and it may be a scary thing. What part of the stepping into this of your own fears that might feel like suffering is what do you do for an hour to pray? Well, we have a little sheet to help you pray. And, and then you might be thinking, man, I can't imagine an hour. And, and then if, if you're like me, I remember, uh, few weeks, a few months ago, I, I decided to sign up from 1 to 3 a.m. And, and Mark Swantowski, who is the chair of our elders, had signed up for 2 to 3 with me. And I'm going, what in the world is he doing up at 2 a.m.? He does surgeries. 
right? And he's one of the busiest guys I know. And I remember going to that, and I remember thinking, ah, oh, it's just so hard to get, you know, be up like that in the morning. And, 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 and we prayed. It was really a phenomenal time of prayer together. But it felt like such a sacrifice. And I just go, compared to Paul? Compared to maybe what someone else has suffered for you? They returned. They, they could have gone this way, but a sense of, of turning around and saying, for the sake of someone else, I'm going to invest. I don't know what God might be calling you to say, you know what? For the sake of someone else, I may be, I might need to start learning what some of my spiritual gifts are and start using them for the sake of someone else, which might mean you have to take some time to study and understand what they are. It, it may be for the sake of someone else. God might be calling you to invest some time in someone at work who, who needs your prayer and attention. I mean, I don't know what it is, but be thinking about this because one of the first things that you find is that Jesus himself grabbed the ticket of suffering for your sake. And I'm guessing when God starts calling you and you start feeling like the price is pretty high, it's probably not compared. And you know what? When you do it, it's amazing. I think Paul looks back all the time and goes, I am so grateful for these people who were established in faith. Second question is this. What does this ticket of suffering lead to? If, if you um, sometimes grab hold of it or given it and you start to say it's for the sake of others, you see that. What does it lead to? That's kind of the next part you see in verse 22. They encourage them to continue in the faith reminding them that we must suffer many things to enter the kingdom of God. The message says they urge them to stick with what they've begun to believe and not to quit. That's what they came back and said, you know what? Stay with it. It's going to be difficult. It might be tough. And it says, then they made this clear to them. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hard times. So anybody here, if you're considering what it means to really walk in the kingdom of God, one of the things Paul says very clearly is it will require some difficulty, some hard times, and some suffering. In fact, if you, if you read this, I'm going to read this to you again in the, in the NIV. He, Paul says this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What I want you to kind of underline in your mind is the word enter. The NASV says it this way, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must, again, enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to note, if you look at that translation, it has quotations through many um, tribulations. I think it does in the NIV as well. And the reason for that is most commentators believe that this is what Paul often shared with people. When he talked about what it meant to walk in the kingdom of God. He wanted them to know very much this. 
Now, when we say enter, we often get this idea that, you know, that you've got to enter through the narrow gate, and, 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 and it's talking about salvation, because the narrow gate is the road to salvation, and the broad gate is the gate that the rest of the world lives in. There's a sense you can really interpret it that way, but Jesus, when he would talk often about the narrow road, wasn't talking just about salvation. He was talking about the life that gets established in the kingdom of God, entering into a place where the rule of God begins to take and, and, and guide your life. And, and you begin to have the spirit filling you in, in moving within you. There's a place, you know, we kind of get this idea that when you come to faith in Christ and immediately it's just kind of like, okay, now everything else flows. But what Paul is saying is this, if you really want to do what it says, like in our vision statement, which is this, to imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve. If you want to, if you want to walk in this, it's going to take a whatever it takes attitude. It's going to take an attitude that says, you know what? Hardship's going to come into my life. Suffering's going to come into my life. Because what it leads to is the kind of life that is given over to Christ. It doesn't just happen. I mean, if you want to be your physical best, right? Let's just talk physically. You want to be is is you know your 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 body weight is right, and and, and you physically your muscles are strengthened, and and you've got flexibility, and your joints are good. You have all these things that doesn't just happen, right? Because you're anything like me, you know. Desserts look really good. Snacks during the time, you know, middle of the week, like really. Laying around in reading seems much more attractive than running or walking or doing something active. If you really want your body's physical best, it requires that there are some hardships that you are in denial, that you take some paths that are just not as pleasant as the other way. Because the natural way doesn't lead to health. And and so what he's basically saying here, Paul is making it really clear that if you really want to follow Jesus with a whatever it takes attitude and you want to give yourself to him and you intentionally do that, if you want to develop and let Jesus develop your spiritual best, it is going to require an intentional mindset that says, I will have to deny myself some things in order to gain this. And and what I mean by this, what I want to call you to think about is this. When you come to faith in Christ, it's about, it's your faith in Christ, right? I want to trust him. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do with our whole lives. We trust him. All our life, we trust him. It's trust in Jesus. And then we talk about this. We sing about it. And now it's love for Jesus. It's love for Jesus. But when you begin to walk with God and you begin to, and if God might be calling you right now, to a deeper life than you've ever experienced. He wants you to enter the kingdom of God because when you enter the place where he rules in your heart, where he begins to shape the character of Christ because that's what suffering does. You know the times where I have found, and I think you might agree, some of you have been in this, your, your times where you see Jesus most shaped in you are sometimes those times that are most difficult. He begins to form muscle and character within you. He begins to help you in the sense of, um, of what it means even like if you think about being in shape and breathing, being able to breathe in the realities of the kingdom. When you, when you begin to walk with him, you move into a place where you actually enter into the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about a spiritual life where it's not just faith in Jesus, 
And it's not just love for Jesus, but what happens is a transformation, Paul says, when you give yourself to him and you allow yourself to go through this hardships and suffering and whatever it might mean to to move into a place where Jesus rules in your life and the spirit begins to take control, you begin to have what I would call the faith of Jesus. Think about it, the faith of Jesus. Just imagine the fact that you can begin to look at a situation and though it may not look like it, it, you know, it looks like everything's bleak, it's not looking good, you begin to start saying, I have the faith. You, You begin to dwell in your heart God's faith in you for that. And it's not only about the love for Jesus. Now, beginning when you start to give yourself to this and as you begin to to give yourself in suffering for the sake of others, like Paul going back, you know what began to develop in the heart of Paul? He began to develop the love of Jesus, which is a totally different thing than just the love for Jesus. It moves you to a whole new place where now all of a sudden the compassion of God begins to, to spring up in you when you see something. He's beginning to form within you who Jesus is. Does that make sense? It's about becoming established. And so what what Paul does here is, is he grabs a ticket because he knows it's for the sake of others, but he knows that when he gets on this train, the next few stops will probably be very difficult. But in this whole process, Paul is learning things. In fact, he says it again and again. Hardship, suffering. When I choose this path for the sake of someone else, when I deny myself, in order that I might give myself for someone else to grow and develop, something happens in my character. And in my character, it leads to this, becoming like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus means he starts developing the muscle of faith within you. He starts developing the patience, the kindness The compassion, the faithfulness of Jesus within you. And folks, if that happens and you start looking like Jesus, if if, if that's happening in our lives as a corporate body, we wouldn't even need evangelism training programs. I'm, I'm serious. In fact, I don't even know if they're really that helpful because so often they're just about up here and what God is is about changing our hearts. And if our hearts start having the faith of Jesus and the love of Jesus, so who is God calling you to right now? Are you saying, you know what? I want you to grab this ticket because I want to put you in a ride for a while. It may not be fun. It may not be easy. You know, sometimes the Christian walk is one that hurts. And Paul is merely saying, quoting this again and again, that I grabbed the ticket and I went back and returned to those villages for the sake of others. And in that process, guess what? I learned a whole bunch of things. I learned things like contentment. I learned at times when I had nothing and God was still available to me. I learned when I had plenty that God was still available to me. I learned these things through the path of hardship. 
And as you go on in this verse, in these verses, it says in verse 23 through 25, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church, and with prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. And then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia, and they preached the word of God in Perga, and then went down to Atalia, where they went and set sail to go back home. Didn't go through Cyprus. Just a couple things I want to share with you here. One is they believed in prayer and fasting. Isn't that interesting? Um, I have to share with you as a church body, I am so grateful for you and for how God has worked in and through us as a body this past year. We took time in the in, from October through November, even early December, where we did a season of prayer where we listened to God and listened to one another. And then we hit January and we paused again and said, let's take 21 days and make space for God. All kinds of people fasted. We had all kinds of reports of how God was working in life through fasting. We have people, as I've been sharing with you, who go out on Saturdays, go down to Minneapolis, some of the worst places, and they, 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 they take time, they pray, they anoint one another with oil for protection, and many of them fast and pray before they go. I am convinced that this year God has called us to do this because of the things that he is calling us to. And so they did that. And then the other thing you need to note is it says in each city they appointed elders. And I found this interesting because it was on a Tuesday night where we as elders were processing through this whole reset of governance and we were praying and we've spent a lot of time just over the last number of years, but we were praying again, asking God for wisdom. What is it that you want this to be called? Do you want to call it elders? And as we prayed about it, um, it came up, someone had mentioned the leadership board. We all talked and prayed and, and we kind of left there saying that's what we should call it where we'd have it be comprised of men and women on this single board. Um, it used to be years ago called a general board. There's no, um, you don't get brownie points in heaven for getting the right name. <laughs> I, I remember I got done from that meeting and I, I was somewhat convinced, you know, I don't like to necessarily change things unless I really sense God in it. So I was praying about it. And, and the next morning I go to prepare this message and a number of the commentators said the same thing. Here's what one of them said, and I'll just read it to you. The word elder comes from the Jewish roots in the Old Testament referring to leaders who are mature, wise, and of good character. Hence, elder, older. Usually it takes some time for that to develop. By this time, this is what a number of them said, by this time in both the Jewish faith and in the Greek world, the word elder basically meant leader. And I just... When, Jesus, for me, you guys have settled yourself on this, but for me, I said, thank you for affirming in my heart what I wasn't sure of and what we had been praying about. And so as he goes through, the, he, Paul goes and he appoints leaders. We don't know how many in each place, but we know that part of the establishment of the work of God is to have leaders who have been fasted and prayed over and who then lead as God calls them to lead, and we as people seek to understand how God is leading through them and, and to respond. Third question is this. What do you do when the ticket of suffering is used and the ride is over? Okay, So you've been given this ticket for the sake of others. It leads to a, it really internally the character of Christ being formed as well as all kinds of good things that can happen in the lives of others. But then the last thing is, okay, the ride's over. Maybe the suffering or whatever has been, been accomplished. Um, the task is completed. The, you know, you're, you're heading home. You're in the army fatigues. You're getting back for the welcome. So it says in verse 26, finally they return by ship to Antioch 
of Syria, where their journey had begun, and the believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. It's passed over. The first missionary journey is done. It's a success, and yet it's been filled with some, some very difficult, painful times. And then it goes, the, it says, the believers in Antioch of Syria, before they had left, they had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work, which is basically means this. They laid hands on them, commissioned them, and said, God, we're going to entrust you to your grace. Now, we have a definition that most people kind of use because you've heard it preached a lot by people. It means grace is unmerited favor. It's a sense of it's a gift. You couldn't do anything to earn it, which is entirely true, but it's, it's short circuits what the full meaning of grace is. The, the grace of God is unmerited favor, but it's far more than that. It's, it's the empowering presence of God in your life. Think of it that way. It's the empowering presence of God in your life. It's the empowering presence of God in your life to transform you so that it's not by your righteousness, that it's his righteousness. It's the empowering presence of God. So when they laid their hands on him and commissioned them, they basically let him go and said, we have now placed him in your grace. We have placed him in your empowering presence, God. That's what we do when we do that with missionaries and we send them off and we do this often in the summer. It's a group that go out in the summers usually and we put our hands on them and we pray for them. We're praying in a sense, in, a, in one sense we're saying, may the empowering presence of God go with them. So some of you are at a point in your life where you have had kids in your home and now they've graduated. And they've graduated and, and you are, here's what you do. I mean, in a sense, part of the task is over. Here's what you do. You, you commission them in, in the grace of God. You say, God, I've done what you've called me to do. I'll continue to pray. You do all these other things. But you are giving them into the empowering presence of God. And so that's what, what they do. So not only do Paul and Barnabas experience this when they leave and go on this missionary journey, what they do when they come back is the same thing for people. There's something about when something is over and you have no control of it any longer or your hands are somewhat not um, going to be able to make any directive changes in something. You just say, God, I give this to you and you, in a sense, say, in the empowering presence of God, I give you this, their grace. And at a certain point, as you let go and entrust, You just got to sit back and say, God, do your work. I trust you. Verse 27 and 28, upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together, reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. They celebrate, they report, they tell how the Lord has opened the door for the Gentiles. And they celebrate, they reset and, 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 and rest and recoup because it's been a tough journey. Part of when you go through something difficult, when you have given yourselves to something, is to stop and to celebrate. Um, one of the areas that I've been trying to grow in over the years is that. I remember one time, a number of years ago, we had a Sunday event on a Sunday morning. I think it was like a first church picnic, and we had all the Chinese students here, and, and we had kids' games and things like that going, and I was walking in the church. So Sunday night afterwards, I'm just reveling in how cool that was, and my natural tendency is to start thinking about the next year, how you can do it better. So I'm thinking about ideas, how to do it better. So I'm walking with Sarah Galligan, who is the kids' ministry pastor. We're walking in, and I'm just saying, man, that was great, Sarah. It was really cool. I said, I was thinking we could do this, and I started listing these things, and she just stopped me and said, Kevin, could we just celebrate what happened yesterday? 
Some of you are like me, and you just need to stop and to celebrate. Maybe with someone else who has gone through a difficult time. And a time where you can just rejoice and hear how God has worked. On, G- on, on June 13th, in just a, two weeks, you know, we have the serve day. Please sign up for that next Sunday. June 13th is their celebration Sunday. What we want to do is just stop and say, has anybody found this to be a tough year? We just want to stop on the 13th and just say, God, we want to celebrate how you've been at work in us. And we're just going to look at how some of the things that God has been doing this past year. And I really would like for you to, to come to that and, and to celebrate. I won't, I'll try not to talk about what we should be doing in the future. I'll just try and celebrate with you. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close in prayer. It ends this way. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. <laughs> I like how that ends. <laughs> they weren't thinking about what they're in. They just stayed there with the believers for a long time. I'm going to ask you just to um, open your heart and I'm going to just guide you through a few things of prayer as we close. Jesus lived this. He grabbed hold of the ticket of suffering right out of his father's hand and in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 it says, because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame and now he's seated at the place of honor besides God's throne. I want to share with you just as you pray right now some reasons to grab hold of joy. Joy doesn't mean things are everything's good in your life, but it might just be for you to grab hold of the fact that God is at work in your situation. And so I just want to tell you rejoice, boast in this, in the relationship that you have with God. Because if you're going through something difficult, you are still his son or daughter. Your current suffering isn't God's plan to harm you or hurt you, but he is training you. I would also ask you to rejoice, to boast, to focus in the process. You may not know it or see it, but God is forming within you as you avail yourself and open yourself to him, the character of Christ. He is forming not just faith in him and love for him, but his faith and his love. And I just want you to rejoice and boast in the outcome. There's incredible good that your suffering produces. And rejoice and boast. Focus on the eternal reward. Eternal honor awaits you. This time of suffering you're in right now is really, I know it's painful, but it's short. Like Paul said, our present sufferings, they just do not compare with the glory that will be revealed in us, which will be forever and ever. Father, I pray wherever anyone here, anyone listening, is experiencing hardship and suffering, would you renew their strength by reminding them of their identity that they are your son and daughter, 
discipline that you are doing something in them and forming within them Christ. And the outcome will be, lives will be changed and touched. And for eternity, we will live in the joy of your presence. And so we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.